you should just stop controlling interest rates, let them rise to the level they should go to right now, and then you've got the inflation under control, bang out. But they don't believe in doing that, so with them in power. Many, many Americans. Look, experts, economists have said themselves uh, that this would uh, be, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act would, um, uh, uh, would, would. I'm back in the booth for the first time in several months, and I'm very excited to be joined by Brian Esposito. For those that don't know Brian, he's helped folks like Kim Kardashian launch their fragrance line, and celebrities such as Pat Mahomes, Luke Bryan, Von Miller, Drew Brees. He's been on Fox News, in real estate, bottled water, crypto, strategic advisor on many companies, most recently raising over $70 million for a turnkey security offering with INX1 called Turncoin. You're literally the modern day Renaissance man, 108 different experiences. I was trying to scroll through them all, but I handpicked a few. It's not a competition. And welcome back to the booth, Avi. It's good to it does feel be good. on the show. Oh, you Thank sound you. great. It's like you haven't missed a beat. So glad to be here with you. So to answer your question, yeah, there's a lot going on, but you know, the entrepreneurial gene, it's in us all. The summit, it hits you and you, you start to kind of push it out of you at an early age. And some, it takes decades and some, they never, they never do anything, but they have it. So that's what I've witnessed in my career. Uh, early teen building companies, whether it's creating lawn services, I rolled out some media type technology companies in high school. So always looking to create for the way my mind works. I see the market and it doesn't matter what industry yeah. I see the market, I see a need and I go and try and fill it. So that find the need, fill need is something that never goes out of style and something that I love to love to tap into. What's great as you get older and you meet great people like you, it's so much easier to surround yourself with an opportunity and put the right people in place and actually mm -hmm. get something from conception to market, to distribution, to building a business around it. So present day, there's well over 95 companies in my holdings that accumulates over 200 joint ventures around the world and proudly operating in over 25 different industries. So if you look at what I've built, I built a world for my own protection and my own needs because I was tired of people taking advantage of me, using me for my access and relationships, and mm -hmm. just trying to capitalize on my hard work and my brain. And then I used to have to chase them for the crumbs I was promised. So it was a very debilitating uh, path and journey I was on for most of my professional career, even though I was doing great things, it was the mm -hmm. wrong model. So over the last six years, I really perfected this model, which is scaling quite nicely is look at all of my holdings across all these different industries. You have exceptional, what I believe is exceptional IP technologies, product solutions and services. And that's all run by best in breed management that's running these companies, pushing those companies forward and creating the, the environment for a sustainable business. And then what I love to do is I come in and support that business with new introductions, new partnerships, access to our investment banking, our uh, private banking. We even have great strategic capital partners and really help companies go from zero to hero and make sure they're on a healthy, sustainable business path. I'm not the unicorn guy. Don't call me if you want to build a unicorn. I believe yeah. if you want to be in business, you got to make revenues. And if you want to stay in business, you have to have positive earnings. That's the types of companies I like to build, whether it takes a year or 20 years, I like to put them on those trajectories and ensure they have all the tools and resources they need to succeed. We're traditionally been a, a stock podcast and it sounds in my head, I was thinking, all right, it seems kind of like a value investor versus, you know, these VCs that throw millions of dollars at 20 different companies, see what sticks. Sounds like you have a different approach. So there's always this gap of like all the struggles people go through, right? And so... Oh, Take me back to like, as a child that I know, I saw everything but a lemonade stand on your LinkedIn there. How did you know you weren't going to work corporate and, and you felt that drive? Like, this is who I am. I, I'm the business, like Jay-Z says, essentially. Yeah, that's right. He does. He says it so well. I never worked corporate. However, we have corporate holdings that have their procedures. So we do, do have a corporate environment in some of my holdings, but I've never done that nine to five corporate job, get your two weeks off a year and have a safe life for lack of a better word. My career has been go out and make my mark. And I've gotten my ass kicked every which way I can think of from every industry, which I, which I welcome because it really helped me become seasoned and find out the idea that there's always a solution. And that's something I'm very good at. One of the reasons I get invited into so many great rooms with you know, exceptional business people and entrepreneurs and conglomerates was that I think a lot differently. And 
I used to make a joke when people would call me to help them get out of a jam. I would say, my God, you really have nowhere else to go if you're calling me. Then I started to realize that there's a lot of value in that side of me, the ability to correct problems and turn things around and look at look at the environment much differently and say, hey, there's a strategy and solution out of the mess that you're in. And I help these companies or these entrepreneurs navigate through that. So a big part of my career was always fixing problems. Uh, I launched the first B2B, B2C e-commerce platform for the beauty industry in the late 90s. I was Amazon's first beauty luxe retailer. I was Jet.com's first retailer. So love being the first of many things. However, when you do that and you're disrupting an industry like we did in beauty, I was getting mm -hmm. sued all the time by brands that didn't want their products online. They didn't understand the online environment. Brands that said, we will never be on Amazon and we're going to cut you off. Fast forward 10 years later, they're proudly promoting that they're on Amazon. So it's mm -hmm. interesting how sometimes it takes a lot of these larger corporations time to catch up to where I knew the, the market was going. But I knew early on that I'm accustomed to having to deal with problems. For some reason, they just get thrown at me. It's, it's kind of interesting. I could, and, I, and I wait for it now. I can have something amazing happen. And often proudly that I do. And then milliseconds later, something terrible happens. So there's, there's this constant balance of good and, mm -hmm. and something bad, and that's life. So rather than getting upset about the bad or harping on the bad, I became more grateful. That, well, at least I have something good to off balance that problem that I now have to fix. So now we're fast forwarding into where I am present day with all these experiences and great support from our legal compliance, regulatory, our accounting firms. So you have all these great resources and have this experience behind you about always fixing problems and always addressing situations. Now my, my career is kind of focused on preventing these problems from happening in the first place. And that mm -hmm. led me to get invited to all these great companies that you've uh, mentioned a few of. Over the last five years, startups, even up to Fortune 500 companies, they invite me into their company. I don't work as an advisor. I work as a member of the management team. I need to know what's going on inside that company. I can't have any gotchas. I want to make sure mm -hmm. that they have fiduciary responsibilities and duties and they're operating ethically and within uh, the correct measures of, for their stakeholders. So I, as an advisor, it's very hard to know, is this company being run right if you're only giving them a few hours a month and you're having a quick call with them? For what I built, I can't be in a position where I'm not involved intimately with the company and know all the ins and outs because I want to help them get out of problems, prevent problems from happening in the first place. And if my name's attached to it, I really can't have something bad happen to that company on my watch mm -hmm. because it's going to affect everything else that I've built and I'm building. Uh, so, yeah, now it's, hey, here's your company. Here's all of the uh, access that I have in my holdings. What can we do to make your company more profitable? If you're going out into the market and raising money, what can we do to pair your company up with my holdings to make you more valuable? This way, if you do need to raise capital, it's a bigger, better story. You have a more higher valuation, so it's less equity you're giving up for the capital that you need. More importantly, what are you in business to do? We need to get you out in the market making money because if you're raising money, running out of money, raising money, running out of money, it's this hamster wheel that entrepreneurs find themselves on. And you can't be half pregnant. You're either out raising money, touting your company, or you're running your company. You can't do both at the same time properly. So when I'm mm. there, it's what do we need to do to make you revenues? And then what do we need to do to make those revenues as profitable as possible? I'd be curious your take on how you've seen things change over time, right? You've been in the game for, for quite some time. And you saw this craziness of 2020. Everyone's making money in the stock market. You could throw a dart. You look like a genius. I was yeah. guilty of that at, at times for sure. But when you go out and find these companies, right, you're you're going mostly with private companies. So there's no public data necessarily. It sounds like you get tons of stuff thrown at you all the time. How does one go about identifying what business opportunity makes the most sense for you, given the amount of time? There's 24 hours in a day. So yeah. it's tough. Well, a couple of things. You made some really good points. Uh, I was in the stock market at I don't know, the youngest age you can think of from stocks that my grandfather and my father had put aside for me. So I was always loved that space from an early age and it was after the 2008 crisis and some of our some of my my holdings and my family holdings were government-backed securities i'll put that in quotes because there was the banking collapse and then all of a sudden there was tarp funds and a lot of things that moved into a gray area which was very unfortunate for a lot of people that were, thought they were holding really safe securities that their principal was protected 
and their yield was protected. So when that whole mess happened, which I also think we're going to revisit something like that very soon, maybe even worse, but I don't wish it, but you know, just be careful where you put your money. So there, there was that moment, 2011, 2012, when Lehman started collapsing, uh, Bear Stearns, we thought that would be the name you'd hear forever, it's gone. So anyway, when that entire crisis happened and a lot of my, what were, and, and I'm, I, I, be, I wasn't really even risk investor then, it was more like a put into safe, safer vehicles, they got wiped out. And, and what, they, what they were sold at through Morgan Stanley's of the world, they, they were selling bullshit paper. So long story very long is I said, that's it. I know what I'm capable of doing. I'm investing in me from this point on going forward. I'm not investing into companies where I have no idea what the hell is going on. I got to wait three months for them to give their quarterly reports. And if they hit or miss, I'm not putting myself in that position again. And if they miss them saying, don't worry, we have all these things happening for the next quarter or the next six months and we're going to hit. And, and uh, uh, why be in that position if you don't have to be? And I honestly think that's true freedom when you have the ability to make choices. That's, that's where I wanted to be. And it reminded me of all the bullshit I went through with all these companies I took from zero to billion dollar valuations, then I'm chasing them for what I was due, empty promises by people. I have a term I coined business amnesia. When things came to be into fruition, <laughs> they would go Brian who? So it's, it, it, and I like people. That's, that's where I had to think this through. I don't want to be bitter towards the world just because people may have put me in bad positions or have taken advantage of me or stolen from me. It's not their mm -hmm. fault. It's my fault for putting myself in that position. And it's my job to never be in that position again. So how do you do that? In my mind, I'm going to build my own world where I have as much control over that world as possible and invite people into my world that I want to work with. No more of me being invited into other people's world and them taking advantage of me. Now it's going to flip the script. I have this mm -hmm. value, which is me and the way that I think and the way that I operate and the reach and the access I have. My job is to create value and create momentum and create a machine that all these companies work together at some capacity. There's shared resources, there's creating partnerships, there's open up markets. So this is just this giant value engine machine here. And to answer your question, and how do you do all this and how do you say yes or no is if you think about your day, the majority of people listening or yourself, Avi, how much more can you get done if you're not fixing problems or if you're not dealing with bullshit or aggravation or stress. A lot of the day, it's a majority of people's time is wasted on that. So again, now inviting people into my world that are warranted, in my mind, they're good, ethical, decent people that just want to do good work. All that means money's a byproduct of all of that energy. So now we, we're all on the same page. Very little, no egos, no greed, no stupid pride. It's we have a job to get done, let's get it done and let's create value. So now it's exciting. It's things that are on and off the plate. I built this vehicle that I can scale. So then it becomes, okay, I got to be very careful as to who I invite into the house because one wrong person, which I've experienced, can jeopardize everything. But more importantly, take my time and energy away from where it needs to be because I'm dealing with some garbage now that I don't need or want to be dealing with. So you start to look at so much can be done with right people, right resources, and right strategy that's not wasted time or energy, and it's effective. And now that mm -hmm. that inertia starts to get bigger, and the energy around it starts to get bigger. When you create light, it attracts light. So now you create these businesses that are in my holdings that have, again, this momentum and this support and this credibility and these great teams behind it. If It, 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 it invites in other people that want to be part of that. And now you start looking at things like security tokens and blockchain, and you have full transparency into the ins and outs of that business. You know what's going on. There's no more misappropriation of funds. Everything's accountable. It's immutable. It's really this business euphoria that's starting to be created for capital from all over the world now that can be brought into companies that need capital or they need growth capital or they need new opportunities in an environment that is... Maybe it's regulated or maybe it's at least accessible to know what the hell's going on inside of that company on a, on a daily basis without having to wait for someone to send you a report or having to wait for their filings to go through. We were doing a lot of growth stocks and I was like, it's time to go to like beach stocks like Google, Facebook. You can like, you'll be fine. Sit it out for five years, come back. You'll be in a good spot. 
Yeah. Like even those went down like crazy, yeah. right? Well, look at Facebook. Why I talk about why I'm not a unicorn because the market's not stupid. And this is why I love the public markets. And that's why I always treat all of our holdings like you're a public company. I was part of their IPO at 30, 32 bucks, mm. went down to 16. So half of their valuation was clobbered after that IPO because the market knew they weren't worth that. And then as you saw and look at their chart, they worked their way back up to their IPO price and then they soared past it. But when you're, when you're, trying to build this unicorn environment that so many entrepreneurs love that term. They want to get connected to a VC and the VC doesn't care if you make it or not because they just need one out of a hundred to succeed. The rest are write-offs and their models mm -hmm. safe. My model is I want all rising tide rises all ships. I want all the companies that I'm part of and in my holdings to really succeed. And I want them all to have this healthy, sustainable growth where if they do have a, a traditional IPO uh, exit, then everybody that's involved has decent equity where they can actually have a, a something that's tangible to put into their bank and they could be part of something that has trajectory to continue those sustainable earnings. I look mm -hmm. at the Berkshire Hathaway model. That's what we built with the coin was we want something that people never want to get rid of. We want something that they want to pass down from generation to generation to generation. And we want them to have a monthly yield or a monthly return where it's they're proud to hold this. It helps boost the principal value or the face value of our of our digital security and it becomes so scarce because nobody wants to sell it that the price of that thing would be through the roof again Berkshire mm -hmm. Hathaway class A stock stuff that I think of and how I operate it's old GE it's old very old traditional mindset on business which I think should never go out of style I mean, right. I they make know. money <laughs> make money it, or, or go be a non-for-profit like I don't know right. you can't continue to and I and I hate because I was this for a long time. I used to blindly put money and resources into companies that I believed in passively. That mm -hmm. hurt me. That hurt me very bad because you had a nice exit. Uh, well, I don't care if it was a dollar gain or 10,000. Percentage is always, yeah. Percentage was great. Good. And, and within two years. But I don't think it's fair for investors that, to put their tax earnings into companies and have to wait for a hopeful exit five, 10, 15 years later. I think they should be getting distributions along the way because if you're taking care of your investors with a return whether it's monthly quarterly biannually or annually mm -hmm. two things are happening you're you're forcing the the decision makers are forcing themselves that oh man we have distributions have to go out this quarter we gotta we gotta make money so it starts to train you to go and find profits and to make money to give out those distributions so that's good for business not i don't mean firing people i mean going out and finding business and making earnings mm -hmm. The other thing that's good for is that if your investors are being fed some return while they're supporting you, they're your, they're your additional future investments right. because at least that they feel like their investments is sound and they're getting a return. So you don't have to keep going out on this dog and pony show and finding new people. Build a core of supporters, take care of those supporters, mm -hmm. run your business right, and you can you can really you know have a, have a great life. Now, if you want to drive Lamborghinis and buy yachts and fly around in, in jets, then that's not realistic. That's not real life. That's what social right. media has made everybody think that that you have to live that way in order to be happy. If you're chasing that shit, you're never going to be happy. And if your money is your motivator and materialistic things are your motivator, then you're never going to create a healthy work environment that's actually can can support a sustainable growth because you're, you're, you're your own worst enemy. You're depleting resources that the company needs to survive to fuel your your lifestyle. So there's mm -hmm. so much is out of whack and you know, social media has been amazing for connecting the world, but I believe it's alienated the world. I believe it's caused these giant gaps in reality and and um, and a fictitious life that people mm -hmm. aspire to try to live. And if they're not living that, they're not happy. And then that dominoes into everybody's got mental health and wellness issues now. And of course you do. We're all trying yeah. to compete with one another. We're all trying to find happiness. We're all living in fear thanks to COVID, thanks to economic uh, disturbances and political nonsense around the world and, and all these different ridings and wars around the world. You wake up in the morning, if you look on the news, there's no reason to get out of the bed. So that's why yeah. you got to learn how to shut off this stuff and Focus on what you can control. That's what I always do. I can't allow noise to get into my life that I have no control over. And throughout mm -hmm. your day, find something that you love to do. Find some passion and find something that makes you smile. And I hope you can do it again the next day. I think that's really important is just like 
the overall concept, if you're always focused on what other people are doing and, and just always trying to keep up with the Joneses per se, it's a race to the bottom. Ultimately, no one can go out to the clubs every single night. Like when you see all these videos of musicians, like half that shit's rented, you know? So it's, it's this false perception that everyone kind of lives these like fake lives and it's yeah. time to stop that. How do you like stay organized? And what is the day in the life? Like, are you like the Will Smith? You run, you read in the morning, you meditate, like the, you know, like no. the videos on and YouTube run up and of all these... somebody in the face. Right, go make it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, are you are you making ginger juice in the morning? Like, what's no. what's the what's the day in the no. life? No, I'm failing on all those things that you mentioned. Um, no, I need to get back to my my personal well-being and health and wellness always took a back burner. I got things like shingles and Bell's palsy on my journey. I just oh, recently wow. had to have my gallbladder removed. I know it's all from stress, mm. uh, but I'm getting so much better. I'm, I'm Italian and Sicilian at heart, so I, I, I use the word passionate. So you get really worked up about things. I've worked very hard not to be who I was younger. Mm. I, I was the guy that would flip a table over in the room if I was being taken advantage of or I was being... Um, just not being treated fairly. I, and that was embarrassing. And looking back on it, like, yeah, it was nice that I stood up for how I felt and what I, and, and I knew that I was being wrong, but there's so many clever ways. And if you look at something like The County Monte Cristo, my favorite book, favorite movie in the world, and that Edmund Dante's character, if you know the story or not, you should definitely go and read it or watch the, watch the movie. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's so it, it inspiring on you know, problems happen to everybody, whether you have a lot of money or none, you're not immune to it. So don't think uh, more money, less problems. There's a great song that proves that to be right. Is that too. our second Biggie reference? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> we got to get a third in there somehow. That's right. We'll get it in. Uh, so that's one thing as entrepreneurs you should always take comfort in is knowing that you're not alone. You're not being picked on. You're not being isolated. It's, it's part of the journey. And not to throw a bunch of cliche quotes out there, but I, from personal experience, and I always try to just talk from experience, I never talk from opinion or I may think, is I know the harder the journey, the more rewarding the outcome. And the reward, the reward isn't always necessary monetary returns. There's so many things that's rewarding in my life where you know how amazing it is for me to call anybody and they pick up the phone or they return the call. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's a lifelong of my credibility, my integrity, being a man of my word, even when things went south, there's been companies where things went south that along my journey. I wasn't the CEO, but I was involved. And I maybe I believed in the company in a passive way, which I don't do anymore. And I got other people involved because I thought it was special. If that investment or that company had issues that didn't succeed, I took care of the other investors. I found ways to make sure that they were made whole. I got them involved in other situations, or I found a way to return their, their investment. So the way that I'm wired is it's a lonely life sometimes because trying to find a kindred spirit the way that I am and mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think just using the word decent that I try to always be decent and fair in everything that I do. And uh, and my mom used to say a funny expression that you can't raise G-rated kids in an X-rated world. And I used to crack up about that. But then looking at where I operate in, I operate in such an, an ethical environment that so many people tilt their head and they're confused when I bring up things that have ethics attached to it or it brings up things that there's empathy mm -hmm. attached to it. If I say things, oh, we can't do that because it's going to hurt X, Y, and Z. And I, I feel like I'm in a room full of Labrador retrievers because they're just, no. what do you mean? It's, it's, it's bananas. But then I know there's good in everybody. And then they start to come around and the conversation starts to be like, okay, we need a solution. We need a strategy. You're right. We can't do that because it'll affect too many things. So it just takes someone in that conversation to speak from a place where you know what the right thing to do is. And that's been another mm -hmm. awful, uh, uh, not awful, but a hard learning experience for me. Whether I'm an old soul or I just know things I sh uh, that I shouldn't know at a young age, it was very difficult being 18, 25, 30 in rooms of 50, 60, 70, 80 year old people. I admire and respect older people. I soak up all their knowledge like a sponge. But I, at times, I knew I didn't earn the voice to say anything in that moment or contradict their way of thinking. I was just, mm -hmm. I knew enough to say I'm honored to be in the room. I'm going to sit back, shut up, and listen, and I'm going to nurture the relationship. And there will be a time in my career if this person's still in my life and they're still an authority in their space or they're still relevant. 
because I respected them, I didn't uh, try to be bigger or smarter than them. The time came where I needed their help and they mm. took the call. They, t- they answered the text. They got right there and they jumped in. Whatever you need, Brian. And all of that, what I'm trying to explain is you need to nurture relationships. I don't care about AI or chat, GBT, whatever the hell it's called. You need people. You mm. need relationships. And if and I feel like we're losing that. I feel like we're losing our oh, own our own fingerprint on our own voice. And when you're what was it? Um, it wasn't Reddit. It was. Who was the news agency that's writing articles now with chat GBT? It's uh, it's one of those like not TMZ sites, BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed, thank you. BuzzFeed. So now words, which is like the most powerful expression of history, things like the Bible, the Torah, the uh, all these, everything was written. The, the Ten Commandments. It was the Fifteen Commandments. The slate broke. We all know that. You had the layup <laughs> there with the, the Ten Rap Commandments. Come on, <laughs> I was going to work that in there, but yeah, you brought it in somehow. So we're doing all this from human connection to the universe, to the energy. Whether you believe in uh, your religious beliefs, wherever that information is coming in, it's 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 the human connection that's interpreting that and presenting that to an audience. Now we're going to eliminate that and we're going to have computers write or, or algorithms or software write words that are not human anymore. That's that scares the hell out of me. That that's that's one of the most I can't get I can't get wrapped around that at all. Mm-hmm. And now, and then you start to look at journalistic integrity and things like uh, I mean, all the different amazing uh, journalists in our history that broke Watergate and like all these people that dedicate their lives to this profession and they, their blood, sweat and tears, they sacrifice so much, they're chasing the story, they're chasing the truth. That's just going to get thrown away. And now we're going to have we're going to be reading things and wonder if it's really written by a person or not. That that's yeah. that's scary. That's a scary place to be, which goes back to my little world with my little bubble and my companies. I, I had to block that out, but I also had to process it. Damn, I don't know going forward if the the information I'm going to be researching or coming across is even on who's programming that too. Yeah, who's you programming know? that? Yeah, hundred percent. So it, it's interesting. I mean, I think it is one of these you know things with technology. I've always been in technology sales, and things that I love about technology is also what scares me. Right, we get to this level of of AI and that's what's public, right? <laughs> Imagine what's behind the scene of what the government has access to in terms of <laughs> AI and things like that, right? Ultimately, there needs to be this human interaction. And you talk to younger generation before me, I feel like I was like the last great generation. And now everyone's like on their phones and I'm even guilty of it myself, but like the kids younger never look up, they'll never yeah. talk to you. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of scary, especially if they're just being programmed constantly and TikTok's a whole nother story, but like, the information that they're gathering on us and listening to our phones. There's so many times I'm sure you've experienced it. We'll have a conversation with someone. And then like oh. the first thing I pop up on Google, I'm <laughs> like, scary. all right, guys, we, we're on to you. <laughs> I'm on to you. But it's right in your face. I don't even try. It's not even clever. It's just like, what I said something yesterday and then everything followed me for the day was ads for that. And I was yeah. like, this is beyond big brother it's big brother big sister big father big yeah family it's just everybody's (laughs) there but i I wish they'd just be a little bit more clever about it where it's not just like boom right in your face so i'd love to hear what you're building here with inx and and with turncoin you're talking with like kim kardashian you're hanging with, with everyone from the beauty company again from the late 90s on I got to work with some of the biggest names in fashion, uh, entertainment, celebrities, music. So Kim, as you mentioned, I helped Jessica Simpson and Kim Paves launch her hair care line or her hair extension line. I was first to uh, assist with Paris Hilton and her her hair line and that rolling out through Sally Beauty. Yeah. And again, these were, these were great people and great management around it, but I had the distribution. I understood I was being used and that was okay. And my model was so wrong because now... I'm involved in that whole process. I get, I get my equity. I'm part of the team. Then I was helping these companies become you know, billion-dollar brands that were sold out to Estee Lauder, L'Oreal, Revlon, uh, LVMH. And then when they sold out, I not only lost the brand because they have their own distribution channels, I, I had no upside in the equity. So going back, I launched over 1,200 brands. So thinking now I have 108 or 98 companies in my holdings. Um, 
I still have 1100 to, to catch up right. to. Right. So, so some I of those are parent. Yeah. Yeah. I look back at those 1200 beauty brands. I said, I sh- because I was giving them access to global distribution, I should have had my points of equity in all of those. And that was yeah. my, that was why I was wrong with my model. And, but, I, but, but grateful that I was able to fix it and, and be what I am today. Just for cut you off real quick, how do you not get screwed in a situation? There's some steps that you've learned along the way, just real quick, how to protect yourself. So I try to de-risk everything I'm involved with. So if company wants to bring me on or I'm starting a company or a project, the, the capital is secondary to anything because of what I've learned in my past. I'm not putting money into the hopes of a business. I'm putting money or capital into the growth of a business. So when a company brings me on and they know now there's enough history about what I do, I do a lot of great discussions like with you. Um, so I have um, I have history, great history. Uh, and I talk about the bruises, which is I'm, I'm, uh, I don't just talk about the wins. I'd rather sit there and say, I got my ass kicked here. Don't do this. I think that's more important to know with knowing what not to do than knowing mm-hmm. what to do. So. Uh, so it's okay here. I'm brought into company A. What do you need? Give me your wish list. What do you, what does the company need? What do you, then don't tell me money. What does the company need? Where do you want to be in 12 months? I, I sit there and say, okay, I can get you there in three months and I can make you worth 10 times more than you go into the market with. And here's pipelines to business. So I start putting A and B together and going back to my time and how do I get to do so much? There's no fluff work in my day to day. There's no, and I'm not making fun of middle management. There's no, oh, I hope I can do a deal with that company. Let me go find somebody over there and, and try to maneuver in there. Right. It's, prin- it's principle to principle. I'm taking this CEO that's in my holdings and now I'm going to go speak with this CEO. Everybody comes to the meeting because of my connection. Everybody's guns on the table and we talk about what is the deal? What is the play? How do we create value? How does everybody win? So when you're doing that, and you look at everything else I talked about prior, I, and I hate saying this, it sounds obnoxious, but it's the truth. I can get more done in an hour than some people can get done in a week, in a month, or a year because I'm bringing the right people to the table. And it's the, part of my connection process of how I've involved. It's not just connecting the right people. I've connected the right people in the past and it didn't work. It's now connecting the right people at the right time, knowing if the market's ready for it, knowing if this CEO is ready for it, knowing if that CEO is ready for it, nurturing that opportunity and don't just jump in like Tommy from Tommy Boy when he's trying to make a sale and he that whole chicken wing scene it's classic you should watch that if you're a connector I've seen it (laughs) it's it's nurturing it massaging it and bringing everybody together at the right time so now to get into Turncoin I was asked to speak in uh, Dubai Investment Summit many years ago Rudolf Markro, the CEO of Turncoin and the founder of Turncoin was also there at the uh, the event that I was speaking at um, he spoke, talked about Turncoin and virtual stacks. And I said, oh, shit, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then second, I was like, I got to follow this guy with my story. He's, he's talking about changing the lives of every person on earth. And uh, from when I sat down after I talked, I said to him, I said, I got to be involved. And I very rarely solicit into a company. Usually it's my bankers connecting me with their clients. It's my legal. It's my accounting. People that know how I work. They have clients that they know that they need me. They make that intro, and then we figure out if 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 there's a play. So sat down with Turncoin, knew what they were trying to do. People like Roel Campos, who's honored to have him in my network and as a friend and as a colleague. He was a previous commissioner of the SEC. I knew Turncoin needed someone of his caliber to help guide that ship to be a, reg- a registered SEC digital security, first of its kind. Uh, great banking partners and friends at Signature Bank uh, and Silvergate, which blew up tonight. It's uh, completely mm-hmm. shutting down their operations. Way to go, FTX, once again, for destroying a, a good bank. Dominoes. Yep. And I uh, use Markham for all my accounting, whether it's auditing their top-tier SEC auditor or financial services. So again, my years of work, it's building an arsenal of exceptional pro- professional services. And these are great legal firms across these industries, accounting, regulatory, compliance. So now I, I go to Rudolph. Here, I'm in. I want to be in. Let's let's mm. get to work. So I start feeding the company all of my work that I know that they're trying to do because I've been in the crypto space since inception, but on my terms. I'm not the Bitcoin, Ethereum speculator. I'm like, okay, I have all these businesses. I know digital assets and crypto and tokenization is going to apply to these businesses. 
let me just build that into the business model as another mechanism, another uh, asset class that the company can can utilize. So with those experiences and meeting the wrong people, meeting the right people, meeting the right community, management companies, the right advertising firms, the right social media influencer firms to get a project going is what I come to the table with with TurnCoin. So getting them in place to be where they are last month, we made financial history being the first of its kind, 100% gross revenue sharing digital security. So that means all the revenues That's that awesome. flow in through uh, through virtual stacks, which is the operating company, on a monthly basis flow up to all TurnCoin holders. So now you have that complete earnings flow coming in from the operating company distributed out to all TurnCoin holders. The company itself owns 50% of all the, all the registered TurnCoin. So that's the operating capital that TurnCoin needs to run virtual stacks. So it's not... Um, it's not taking any percentage of the earnings and then doing net distribution to the shareholders. Everybody shares on the, on all the revenues coming in. Uh, virtual stacks, which you touched on some of our ambassadors, is the first of its kind regulated environment where people can buy virtual trading cards of people. So our ambassadors, some of which you named, you got Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Ron Miller, Cam Jordan, Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, we just announced Luke Bryan as our global music ambassador. Uh, media and sports and business icon David Meltzer. So these amazing people are part of the ambassador program that believe in turn, believe in virtual stacks and believe in this model that are going to help people have great liquidity events. And we'll keep announcing additional great ambassadors across all different walks of life, different uh, sports and professions and influencers and celebrities. So you'll start seeing more and more great names pop up. And there's two business models. If you're an icon like Patrick Mahomes, who just won the uh, Super Bowl, you've got a huge audience, a huge fan base. And now you have a new mechanism of way of connecting the Patrick Mahomes through virtual stacks by buying and owning or trading his virtual stacks, sports stacks. So it's a digital trading card of him. There's X amount that go to the market and they can be converted into NFTs for further utility. There's further proximity that you can have with, with your favorite player like a Mahomes. And he keeps 90% of all the revenues that flow through the virtual stacks platform and a 1% transaction fee. Now, the platform keeps 10% of the revenues that flow in and a 1% transaction fee. And that's all the money that flows up to TurnCoin holders. So again, you're Mahomes, you're Drew Brees, you're Luke Bryant. You have a huge fan base. It's a great liquidity event to capitalize on turning your clicks and your likes on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram into money. It's a new earnings mechanism for you further your career, to obviously have more earnings for you as a, as a, as a performer or a celebrity or an icon, or you can utilize a, a charity uh, distribution for your favorite charity or your, son, or your own charities where a portion of the earnings can go out. Uh, so great liquidity event for all that fame and all that hard work and all that popularity that you created. The other business model, which is even more powerful, is the billions of people that are not yet the next Luke Bryan, the next Patrick Mahomes, the next Drew Brees. Think of it like a GoFundMe and a person going public where they can issue virtual stacks to their family, their friends, their classmates, their teammates, their piano teacher, where you want to be the next Derek Jeter, but you have no money for cleats. You can put up virtual stacks to your, to your local community and start promoting this through social media and have people buy into your stacks and say, hey, I think that kid's going to get drafted to the Yankees in five years. So as you're buying those virtual stacks for pennies on the dollar and supporting that player or that potential future player, when they do make it or they do become the next Tiger Woods or the next Taylor Swift, because of the demand and, and the greater popularity of the stacks that you were buying for pennies is now being sold for dollars or tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars. So not only were you helping this person further their career and being part of their journey, but you as a, as a scout or someone that can identify talent capitalizes on the upside of, of them as well, having a successful career. Does this operate like a, like a market as if NFTs, you know, Anthony Edwards, he's my favorite basketball player on the Timberwolves. I loved him coming out. He was the first overall pick, so his, his stacks may have been eye out the gates, but he's now improved and improved every single year. So is it, is it kind of based off of demand or, or like salaries or how, how does that formulate or the algorithm kind of look like? Yeah, so it's based supply and demand, and these are fungible tokens, these virtual trading cards. So it's not... Yeah. It's not based on the person's equity. It's not a virtual stacks isn't, isn't a security. Turncoin is a registered security, but the operating mm -hmm. company virtual stacks is not. 
And it's all based on supply and demand. So the better you play, the better you perform, the more popularity you gain, the bigger your awareness gets. As your career furthers and people, more and more people like you and they want to have a, a further connection with you, that's how you get the higher price and, and the upside to that virtual stacks price. I also think there's a psychological play here where when people start to see a virtual stacks price next to their name, much like if they were an IBM or a Tesla, I think they will make better decisions. And I don't want to call out like Lindsay Lohan or Britney Spears, but <laughs> people that have maybe have fallen on a different journey. I think they'll think about, well, you know, my stacks price is so high right now. Maybe I shouldn't go to this club and maybe uh, who knows what's going to happen at, four, at 5 a.m. and after 25 shots. Uh, is, is, yeah. Am I going to put myself in harm's way? Where my people, stock's going to plummet here. <laughs> I, think, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be some interesting situations on watching people's behavior because so now, TMZ be like an insider trader and then they'll be like <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point I don't know no comment on that it's a good point right. uh, and then the other thing is we had uh, we did a, a pilot a, a small controlled not a pilot but the platform's live but a small controlled rollout in December with 21 collegiate football athletes through our Burst uh, NIL partners so Burst uh, is the yeah. NIL play for virtual stacks that works with these uh, college yeah, athletes. I, I talked to them a while back. They talked to Grant. Yeah, yeah, that's how we got connected. That's right. That, so, that's, uh, yeah, that's wild. So that, and that, that's a really cool thing for, for those that don't know NIL. It's finally allowing high schoolers, college to get their name and recognition to actually get paid, you know, have local advertisers, local car, car dealerships sponsor, you know, for the high school athlete that everyone knows in that area. That's pretty fascinating. So you guys can start to like really create that whole ecosystem from is it started at high school or can I find the, the next like second grader that's phenomenal? What you're saying is exactly right. Because how many times have you seen somebody on Instagram or on YouTube, you see this little girl that kicks a soccer ball a mile or you see this 10-year-old kid hit a, a golf ball 200 yards. You mm -hmm. like it and you comment on it and you share it and you know that they're gonna that kid's going to be in the PGA. That kid's going to be playing for Barcelona, whatever you may be thinking. But now taking that like and then moving it over into an environment where you can actually throw a few bucks into that person and build this portfolio of scouting talent. So yes, there's age verification, there's KYC you have to go through for the virtual stacks platform. And then if you're underage, you'd have a parent or a guardian that would be the financial responsibility for your account and, and attached to their bank account. So there's rules and regulations that the platform fall under. But and then back to Burst, we, we rolled out these 21 collegiate athletes. We picked athletes that didn't have a huge social media following, wanted to prove that this platform, Virtual Stacks, can work for anybody. And during the initial phase, some of these athletes made up to $8,000. So this was money that these football players, these American football players, collegiate football players, never would have seen, didn't, mm -hmm. uh, never would have known how to have access to. And in an environment where it's exciting for them, they take their content, they move it over into the Virtual Stacks app and platform, they connect with their fans, they're connecting with people that are in, uh, buying into their future and supporting their mm -hmm. future. Uh, so it's really, Man, it's, it's massive what, what is happening and what will happen. And now with a big rollout with Drew Brees and Mahomes and the rest of our ambassadors doing a huge push on getting all passions and walks of life onboarded to register for a virtual stacks account. And then if you want to issue your own virtual stacks, you go through the process and you get up and running and you promote your stacks to your, to your fan base and go after your career. Because I believe whatever you're doing and whatever your passion is, and let's talk about the American collegiate football players, for example, if you can alleviate some of the financial burdens. I was just thinking in my head, like these guys may stay an extra year in college. And I believe that if you're, no matter what, if you're stressing over money and now be a, a young kid that maybe you're working two jobs to make ends meet and you're playing a sport and you're going to school or maybe you're having a hard time getting a room and board, your books, maybe your car payments late, whatever the case may be, if you have the, uh, now a tool to bring in some capital where it helps you become more confident and more mm -hmm. at peace, you'll perform better. You'll, mm -hmm. you'll play better. And, and maybe this platform will give you one extra day that you don't have to hang up your cleats. And that one extra day may be that day that someone comes and finds you and signs you. So anything mm -hmm. to not allow people to give up on their dreams is something I bought in on this very early on with um, when I met Rudolph and learned about this. And we built it. Took five years, twenty-three million of private strategic capital, no investment banking money, no VC money, um, and it's here and it's working, and and we're in the market. So, 
We're here to change lives. We're here to support people's passions. And um, that's exciting. That could change college sports, right? Like a lot of people are kind of sick of the one and done. It at least gives them someone an optionality to not feel so stressed and not jump and maybe finish their career and actually graduate. So it's really, really interesting what you guys are building. So now on the um, kind of the NFT component to it, where you said, I don't know if it's meet and greets or you get like a little bit closer to proximity. So do each of them have on the playing card or the virtual stacks then like levels to it where you get to meet them or different things like that? Yeah. So the the initial buy-in is you're buying the person's virtual stacks or their base stacks. Mm-hmm. The NFT portion that rolls out. So that's the fungible token. That's when you're buying that connection to your favorite whoever or someone that you believe in. Now, in order to get the NFTs or their series collections, you have to convert your base stacks back to the pool. And your conversion of your virtual stacks back to the pool allows you to get their NFT. And that's up to the that's up to the issuer, whether it's meet and greets, special signed merchandise, whatever the utility is of the issuer mm-hmm. that wants to that wants to roll out with. That's the reward that you get. But now we've created this infinite loop where because the issuer or the Patrick Mahomes is now launching their NFTs, those 100,000 virtual stacks that initially went out to the market can all be recouped back to the issuer and resold. So it's either resold to the same audience that already that bought the original ones or new people that want to buy their virtual stacks. So you create that ongoing earnings mechanism for issuers to be able to constantly convert their stacks into NFTs back to virtual stacks and then back out to the market. So you never have to increase the supply. You don't have to dilute people out. It's 100,000 base stacks for every issuer. And that could be it. That could be all that somebody wants. That can generate, depending upon the price, millions and millions of dollars. If they want to roll out NFTs, they roll out the NFT program and then those stacks go back to the issuer to resell to the public market. This is awesome. I think genuinely, I've always... Me and my friends used to say, like, I, I wish I could bet on a friend of mine that's like, I know they're not going out at night. They're hustling. They want to bet on someone's career. And yeah. even I was thinking more of like a salary, like, hey, I know that they're going to, their next contract's going to be phenomenal. On the business side, I, I put out my business stacks. It goes live April 15th, April 14th. Um, I'm going to use it to help with my flow of people that want to sit and meet with me to help filter out people that are serious. Mm. I'm going to say, you're going to have to own some of my virtual stacks if you want to spend some time with me, if you want to, like, I'm going to create real value that's going to help me filter out maybe 90% of, of the inbound or people that are just trying to take advantage of me or use me. And I have to go up my gut and experience and say who's for, who's real, who's not real, who should, who's worthy mm-hmm. of my time. And I could filter that out a little bit. I don't want to alienate people that can't afford to buy my stacks. Maybe they're a penny, but I, mm-hmm. I always want to be open to everybody. But I also want to make sure... How genuine are they really wanting to work with me? So I'm going to utilize my stacks to help ensure that if you want some of my time, you're going to buy some of my stacks. Yeah, my mind's flying. So like even like musicians, you mentioned Luke Bryan, like people that own his stacks get the first, you know, in Ticketmaster or whatever, they can jump in or, you know, get the the first tickets or the pre-sales or things like that, I'd imagine. Hopefully they roll. Yeah. I mean, it's up to the issuer. They can come up with so many fun rewards and mechanisms that... Their biggest stacks holders are their their biggest supporters and fans that are putting hard-earned money into them outside of buying merchandise, streaming music, or going to the show. It's another yeah. way to really show your support. Uh, and then you look at things like American Idol. It would be amazing to have virtual stacks tied into those contestants yeah. where you're, you're part of their journey as you're watching them perform. You're, 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 it's another way for those artists, whether you win or lose that great show during yeah. that process because of the visibility that you get. You know, maybe you've earned a few million. People keep sleeping on Web3. It's like, it's almost like this perpetual motion that's happening and people are like, it's never going to happen. And there's so many different use cases. I always view this as kind of almost the new era of, of internet, right? So I always talk about like the pets.coms. Yeah. Like sure, there's going to be pets.coms, but there's also Amazon and Google yeah. and all these other big, big companies that came out of this. I'm in the space myself, so maybe I see it from a different lens, but I see all these really companies that are doing cool shit. And the reality is like, you know, not all of them are going to make it, but some of these will be companies that are very well known. So what's next for you? I know we're, we've been talking for about an hour, so I don't want to keep you too late. It's getting to nine o'clock here. I'd love to hear kind of what else you have coming up and where you're focusing your time. Yeah, well, a lot, lot going on. I made a lot of big announcements the last month. Devour uh, rolled out successfully in New York City. It's the uh, Web3 of food delivery and, and F&B mm-hmm. and dining. 
So Shelly, Rupel, and Chad Horn, amazing co-founders. I joined the team to help uh, grow that company. Great rewards and Web3 for NFT communities that are ordering your food deliveries like we do now with DoorDash or Breeds or you know, whoever you're, you utilize. And now doing that through Devour, it opens up more rewards for the Web3 community to participate in earnings and gamifying food delivery. So an exceptional platform. Um, their experience in that industry is, is, is so, so stellar. And, uh, and I've been helping them put together strategy and bringing on some great partnerships to really uh, scale that uh, great company. So Devour will be rolling out in, in markets around, around the country and, and had a great successful rollout in New York City. The music industry is always my favorite industry. We have a, a platform rolling out known as IPXYZ. Uh, John Karras, uh, co-founder, and Stefan Schultz. Stefan ran um, Universal and Viveni's digital rights for 25 years. So if anybody knows IP and monetizing IP, it's it's this guy. Phenomenal team, exceptional team around the world. And now protecting IP or music rights with IPXYZ and reporting in real time how music's being consumed, where it's being consumed. So you're properly protecting the artist, the songwriter, the rights holder. I, I've always believed music is undervalued by at least 10 times. So when you're seeing these music catalogs sell for even for millions of dollars, it's not the full accurate reporting of the earnings power and potential of that catalog. It's actually much, much more. So if uh, as IPXYZ rolls out, it's to be think of it like the operating system of the music industry. The music is being piped in or how it's being consumed or distributed is coming out of one system known as IPXYZ and then out to all the other distribution arms. Right now, it's all completely siloed. Universal doesn't talk to Warner. Warner doesn't talk to Sony, all these independent rights holders. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot and a mess going on. And right now, it's people depend on streaming for their earnings or touring. And the earnings power with their streaming is nothing. They, even if they're streaming billions and billions of of, of, um, of streams, it's not enough for someone to have a career on. So you take something like the musician stacks and the power of IPXYZ to really protect the creator and really make sure that they can monetize their talent to the best of, of their ability. You know, we're putting all those tools and resources together for um, uh, for these these great artists and songwriters and musicians, so very excited about that. That's um, that, that's probably going to be one of the biggest moves in music that has ever been made, uh, and we have the right team and people to do it that know all the powers that be. In a lot of industries, it's the good old boys network, the the gaming industry, mm -hmm. the casino industry, the banking industry. I've I've gotten my ass kicked in the music industry since since day one, but I loved yeah. it because. I found out where the bodies are buried. I knew who to work with. I, you know, I just, I, I, that's part of my favorite thing about going into a new industry is weathering the storm and meeting the yeah. right people. And, and as long as you're consistent and you're not trying to take advantage of people and people understand I'm in it to help the independent artists. That's why I've always been in it. Yes, I get to meet and work with amazing people. Like you mentioned, Luke Bryan and a ton of great artists that I've got to meet and work with. I want the hundred and something million of starving artists around the world that have 10,000 fans or less on their social media. What can I do to help them get their music distributed, get it monetized and help them build an audience? Because you get them, it's like having a million Justin Bieber's. And that that's the market. That's a huge amount of data about music and about a monetization that you could put together. They just need the tools and the visibility and the support to, to make a career out of it. You've taught me so much and you're the epitome of an entrepreneur. I think a lot of our listeners inherently, they're interested in the stock market investing. A lot of them have this entrepreneurial spirit, right? Where they feel the sense of ownership. So you've had many failures, tons of tons of successes as mentioned, and we haven't even touched on half of them or, or even 10% of them. But what would you say to like any aspiring entrepreneur that's kind of taking advantage of this work from home? We have seen this mental shift this corporate shift and, and everyone has a little bit more free time it feels like in their lives like what kind of advice would you give to to those folks that are listening right now uh yeah what i've been saying over the last few years especially when COVID hit and it was a, you, know, you got a global shutdown what a great moment to reinvent yourself and what a great excuse to go after something that you maybe always felt you should go after I just always suggest to people, and I have this conversation daily with with entrepreneurs that or, or want to be entrepreneurs, you got to be very 
careful about it. I don't think it de- depends on on your reality. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I I'm I'm I was um, privileged enough to be a band aid type of approach where there's no kids, there's no repercussions. There was I, it was it was my risk, my ass. So mm-hmm. yeah, let's just do it. And that that's been that's been my push. Now, if you're an entrepreneur and you 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 just know you have this in your blood and you want to go out in the market and do it, but maybe you're married, maybe you have kids, maybe a mortgage payment, car payments, health insurance, I don't suggest disrupting all of that to go after your dreams. But I do believe there's a nice hybrid way of carefully doing it where you can transition because you, you it's no fun to go out and be an entrepreneur and try to make it and and suffer or sacrifice mm. everything. Uh, the, the, I don't. I don't think you need to be in that position now. If you, but if you hate your job and you hate getting up in the day, you gotta you gotta fix that immediately because you don't know when the last day is or when those lights are gonna mm-hmm. go out. So you need to be doing something you love, and you need to have passion, and the money will follow. So you need to find a way to get off that hamster wheel. But I do think you should be very methodical about. Okay, I'm gonna go and do it. I and write down what you need and go and find what you need. LinkedIn is phenomenal for this. Go and find find people that you maybe you're impressed by, or maybe that you uh, you, you uh, they're an idol of yours or you admire, whatever the word is, and just be just be completely transparent with them. I do believe people like helping people. I think if as mm-hmm. long as you're honest and genuine about it and about your approach, and ask for help and say, hey, you're putting together advisors, you have this great idea you want to go after. Would you be willing to to join? my mission and my team. I'm, I don't know when the day is going to be when I go and start it, but I want to start it. And once you start it, once you get that little bit of a snowball going down the hill and you're doing something that's coming from your heart and from your DNA, it, it, it just, you jump out of bed in the morning. You can't wait to go and start the day. You can't wait to see what else you can accomplish that day. And sometimes you just, you could just be missing meeting one person. It could just be one person that changes your entire world and your entire life and because you were vulnerable and you really and you asked for help and you were not trying to be a big shot, not trying to say you have everything because that's I go deaf when people do that to me. Mm-hmm. Just tell me what you want to do and and be completely vulnerable and honest with me and I will move mountains for you. But don't mm-hmm. bullshit me or don't try to. We're all flawed. So that yeah. we're all even right there. So what do you need and how can we do it together? And that's my suggestion. If. But I also admire people that that say I'm done. That's it. I'm going after it, and they don't yep. care about anything else. The other the other thing as an entrepreneur is very important. If you haven't done this yet, or, or you're experiencing it, very few people are going to think like you. Your inner circle of your family, your friends, your loved ones, your wife, your husband, your kids—they're not going to understand you. They're going to think you're nuts, and and they're going to make fun of you, and they're not. 99% of the time, that's not your cheerleading squad. Don't go to them for support. You're going to be disappointed every time. But the fun part is when you do make it, they're your best friends and they were there, right. there with you. They were there with you the whole time. They knew you were going to make it. But if you're going to you're going to feel very disheartened and you're going to feel like you get punched in the face trying to get the appreciation and the respect that you deserve from people that just aren't wired like you. It's not their fault. They don't get it. They don't understand it. So you need to find an inner circle of people that understand you, are your sounding board, they are your mirror, and they're your champion. And they're there with you through the good times and through the bad. I love that. Now, I was really digesting everything you're saying, realizing the whole conversation, going back to like the social media, all these distractions, trying to you know be someone you're not or putting this perception out in the world. Like Authenticity, at the end of the day, is so key throughout my life because I just realized I kept smiling at people and saying hello. And so I always tell people, just go smile and say hello to people. You never know who you're going to meet. Like when we first talked, you're very humbled, you know, and, and I think that's what, what I find most attractive about like a lot of these entrepreneurs that I look up to is they're human at the end of the day and they really are, people do want to help, right? And so I feel like you're stuck, like smile and say hello. 100%. Going back to Brian's, keep your, your inner circle of, of positive minded people. And like, not everyone does think like you. People call me nuts all the time. Yeah. And I kind of laugh, but at the same time, I think everyone else is nuts. But at the same time, <laughs> we all are on this earth together and, and need to collaborate and, and, and work as one. So 
Brian, thank you so much for, for joining Pound on the Table today. This was awesome. I hope to stay in touch with you. If people want to get in touch with you or, or learn more about you. I always use LinkedIn and Twitter. So it's my full name, Brian J. Esposito. I get back to everybody. And and it's the last time I want to hear you say that anybody's more successful than you because it's not that's not true at all. Um, <laughs> we're, we're all we're all equal. My definition of success is going through life not hurting anybody. And if you do, do what you can to rectify it and make it right. Be nice to a waiter and help people. I don't care what you have in the bank. That's not my definition of success. So, and I do have a great quote that I I think it's a great quote because it's mine. I do believe you can be an overnight success. If you wake up the next day a little wiser, smarter, and stronger than you were the day before. So that's uh, that's how I live my life and, and an honor to be on your show. So grateful for that. And we most certainly will stay in touch. You're, uh, you're stuck with it. <laughs> well, you're not too far away. So great to have you, Brian Esposito, folks. And welcome back to Pounding the Devil.